Hey guys, and welcome to episode 37 of Girls Gone Canon, Theon 2 and Theon 3 in A Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter and Tumblr or at liesandarborgold.com. And I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl from the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit or the Maester Monthly Podcast or as Arithmetric on Twitter. I know you from there. I know you from my dreams. Oh, whoa. 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 We're getting saucy already on the podcast. Okay. Okay. We're really excited, though, to get to Theon 2 and 3. We just finished recording, and by now I think it'll be chopped up, edited up, thrown up for patrons, $5 and up. Our Elaine Stone won in the Winds of Winter episode. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about the episode. We dropped some some knowledge, some truths. Yeah, it's a little longer than our usual episodes because, as you said, we dropped a lot of analysis and discussion. Obviously, you know, we're very excited for the Winds of Winter. And, I mean, that was the first Sansa chapter that people had for, like, ten years. Had to go all of dance, no Sansa. We do have some emails and tweets of notes to read, I think. Eliana, do you want to pop us off? Yeah, so we have quite a few tweets in response to that Theon episode that, of course, we released last week. And a lot of people had some really awesome things to say. There was a lot of really great in-depth responses. And we only picked a few of them. But, you know, check us out on Twitter. See what people are talking about. Lots of great takes. Um, like, for example, we're not going to read Pat Spinogles aloud, but he had some he had some good takes, too. And I totally mispronounced his name again. I'm sorry. It's just ingrained in me, Pat. So <laughs> I want Spinagle. <laughs> Spinagle. You do great. <laughs> I'm going to start off with uh, this great discussion from Eve on Twitter. You can find them as at Canonical Gay. And same. <laughs> Eve says, loved hearing some unbiased takes on the Stark House as an institution slash North as a society in general for once. Um, Welcome. Yes, but this is the part that I thought was so interesting that Eve pointed out about Theon's storyline. So he says, also, as much as we like to laugh at Theon's nonsensical fantasies of the Iron Islands and pathetic slash tragically uninformed, by no fault of his own, sobbing emoji, relationship with culture... His culture strikes home so thoroughly for me as part of the diaspora. Theon is an idiot full of hot air, but his whole hostage situation doesn't lend itself to fostering a healthy relationship with his culture, in which the diaspora kid hasn't had that phase of having stupid, shallow, uninformed, and romanticized ideas of their cultures, history, slash traditions, sobbing emoji again. Also, his simultaneous pride in being ironborn, all he has left to cling to, in my opinion, but also the patronizing attitude toward other ironborn he must have certainly absorbed in the North, is so cringeworthy and also heartbreaking and also very upsettingly real. And I just loved this take. I didn't know this, but both Eve and I are coming from, I think, a similar standpoint when we're thinking about this cultural diaspora there's a lot of different ones of course from different countries but when we're talking about it turns out we have the same anchor point of that filipino diaspora um i'm filipina american and eve i believe is filipino australian and just that relationship that 
first generation or immigrant kids have in the culture where they're growing up, right? The culture in which they're living. But of course, having that sort of third culture, different experience because your parents and your home household is a different culture. And then having your entire family um, or feeling that there's a family on the other side of the country, on the other side of the globe, the world, and you don't belong in the country where you're growing up and don't quite fit in. But when you go back and you visit your family, you're not, you don't belong there either. I think another, just calling this out there, another comic that, another story that explored this really well was, I think, I want to say issue 13 of Miss Marvel, but not the the first run, the second one after they had to like reboot everything after like Secret Wars or some shit. Uh, Miss Marvel does a great job of exploring that idea through a Pakistani American girl. So, yeah, absolutely. I know I can't come from the same uh same channel because you know I'm white. I'm real white. I don't know what I am, but I'm real white. I can tell you that. And I know I don't come from that same channel, so I can't have that kind of same experience. But I do think it's interesting, especially the idea of believing that your culture is inherently good at the center because us as humans think that things are good when you get to the center, no matter what. Like, evil villains always have a backstory. They always have something good going on underneath. Like, oh, their heart was broken because their dad was murdered. Or, you know, like, I don't know, whatever backstory. Look at America. I mean, a lot of Americans are like, this is my culture. I'm American. But obviously, a lot of that culture can be very destructive and tear people apart. Uh, Just like things like, you know, the Ironborn culture and the Iron Pride. So I can really appreciate that. And also that feeling of wanting to belong. I mean, that's every culture. Every culture has community and has things that, you know, people want to belong to. So it's very sad. It's just very sad to have someone, you know, plucked from what they once were put back in and then rejected. Yeah. And it's something that it's that is explored in other POVs, of course. Like you have that with John, especially, you know, once he spends time with the Wildlings. He doesn't fit in with the Wildlings. He doesn't fit in in the North anymore after that experience either. You have Danny, who doesn't fit into really the mold of any of the cultures that she's thrust into. She's not gonna fit into Westeros when she comes back. Um and that's gonna be an interesting comparison to Theon's storyline when we get it. But I just love this lens that Eve put on Theon's storyline, and it's something that I think is going to be at the back of my mind, and we'll probably pull it forward every now and then as we go through all these different chapters. Yeah, I really love what Eve had to say about that. We also got a really cool tweet from our good buddy Jash, uh, 7.34 on Twitter. Coming off the heels of Sansa's chapter and all the nods to fairy tales throughout her arc, I couldn't help but notice the scene between Balin and Theon felt a little like the stepsisters destroying Cinderella's dress before the ball. Yes. I love that comparison. I think that's just so smart. It's just so good, especially like when with Sansa you see it built up, right? Like she gets the beautiful dress and then it's destroyed for her. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, for Theon, it's like the coming home. It's the after part and like his father tearing off the necklace that's absolutely like what happens in cinderella and then the pearls they just like go all over yeah it's so sad and the mice are all sad yeah i'm the mice i'm sad but there are no mice to help theon he's got to just go kill people on his own and take his own goddamn like new necklace oh theon the iron price so let's get into our lightning round since theon won what have we missed we missed daenerys one 
journeying through the red waste, Danny fights to keep her newborns and Kalasar alive. She sends her blood riders scouting and they discover Karth! John 2. John investigates White Tree and discusses his Uncle Benjamin with J.R. Mormont. Arya 4. Amory Lorch leads men to apprehend Yorin and take Gendry, and Arya frees prisoners before escaping the Din. Tyrion 3. Cersei's PR team has their work cut out for them after Stannis sends out a pretty nasty press release. Tyrion commissions a fancy chain, and he meets with Varys. Brand 2. The Harvest Feast is held at Winterfell, and then Bran dreams of a golden man throwing him from a tower. Tyrion 4. Tyrion plays a loyalty game with Pycelle, Littlefinger, and Varys. Just so everyone knows, for reference, Tyrion was inspired by Kanye and Kardashian West. Kanye and Kim oh my God. Kardashian West. Oh my god. <laughs> Sansa 2. Sansa finds a fool to take her home. She's escorted back to her chambers, later by a not-so-true knight. In Arya 4, Arya is unmasked by Gendry as a lady of House Stark, and later her gang comes under capture by Gregor Clegane's men. Tyrion 5. Tyrion gets so much done in court, it's amazing! It seriously is. Like, do you ever think that? When I go through Clash, I'm like, damn, Tyrion, you did that. The government yeah. was working this year. Tyrion, uh... Should have negotiated for a six month six month review. <laughs> get that get that pay raise. Today he researches King's Landing's nuclear power and then deals with Rob Stark's terms. And then his loyalty game finally bears fruit. Who leaked the baby pics? <laughs> Bran three. Bran meets the Reap Kids and dreams of them in the Godswood with the Direwolves. Catelyn two. Catelyn attempts to form an alliance with Renly Baratheon. John three. John meets Craster and learns of the strange traditions that he keeps with the cold gods. Not the old gods, the cold gods. Theon 2. Theon meets a local, Esgrid, and falls victim to her flirtations until it's revealed that Esgrid is your sister, uh. Asha. Asha is placed at a seat of honor later during a feast by the cold, distant father Theon barely has, and later... She takes a more important mission from her father as he reveals his secret plans. Dead. So Theon is admiring a ship in the bay, and he turns around and he finds a young woman to admire as well. She's long-legged, she's ironborn, she's got it going on. That's right, it's Eskred! Hit me. Uh, <laughs> Eskred is letting Theon flirt with her, mischievously smirking. She begins to stroke his ego. Well, his ego first. That's one way to talk about it. Theon is talking shit about he's like, I'm a great ironborn lord, and he's telling her all the moves that he wants to put on her. I mean, Theon, like... It's weird. Anyways, Esgrid, though, is a woman wed. Allegedly. With a child on the way. Allegedly. Ironically, when you think about it. Hmm. We'll get to that eventually. Theon thinks that, oh, this is better than... <laughs> <laughs> his optimism here. He's like, that's fine if you're pregnant. Then there's no chance of a bastard. <laughs> interesting, interesting uh, thought process. It's been. But Esgrid yeah, says that her man will be unhappy with her. I mean, yeah. Have you ever had a prince? He asked her. When you're wrinkled and gray and your teeth hang past your belly, you can tell your children's children that once you loved a king. Oh, is it love we're talking now? And here I thought it was just cocks and cunts. Is it love you fancy? 
decided that he liked this wench. Whoever she was, her sharp wit was a welcome respite from the damp gloom of Pike. Shall I name my longship after you and play you the high harp and keep you in a tower room in my castle with only jewels to wear like a princess in a song? You ought to name your ship after me, she said, ignoring all the rest. It was me who built her. Sigrid built her. My lord father's shipwright. I'm Asgrad, Ambrod's daughter and wife to Sigrid. He had not known that Ambrod had a daughter or Sigrid a wife. But he'd met the younger shipwright only once, and the older one he scarce remembered. You're wasted on Sigrid. Ho ho, Sigrid told me the sweet ship is wasted on you. <laughs> Theon bristled. Do you know who I am? Prince Theon of House Greyjoy. Who else? Tell me true, my lord, how well do you love her, this new maid of yours? Sigrin will want to know. First off, in there, that is a Rhaegar and Lyanna reference. Why, yes. High heart, is. jewels, towers. naked, princess, tower, song, song. Yeah, that was great. I love that. I was like, why did a... Uh, that's an interesting, that's a very specific and strange, interesting uh, example that you're pulling out there, Theon. Yeah, a little bit. I love it. He asks her if the boat is as fast as she looks. It's not quite as big as Balin's ship, the Great Kraken, or his Uncle Victorian's, the Iron Victory, which I love that, by the way. I love that commentary that Balin's ship is called the Great Kraken and Uncle Victorian's is the Iron Victory. Like, okay, Victorian. It's cute. But the boat looks swift and it looks sweet. And it, it's been a few years since Theon's even sailed. He admits to himself he's never captain, but he thinks... He's a great joy, and it's in his blood. I don't think that's how captaining works, but, like, you do use Theon. Sure. Yeah. As Grid thinks that his blood's gonna end up being in the sea, though, if he sails the way that he talks. I mean, I don't know. Those are, like, decent moves, though. I don't know. I don't really want to be hit on with someone saying, I'm gonna lock you in a tower. Like, what? It's not cute. And he says he would never mistreat his fair maiden, the ship. So Esgrid mocks him, saying that the ship is no lady. She's a sea bitch. Which, of course, wrapped in layers of layers of layers of irony, right? Theon's like, oh, like, oh you're a beautiful fair maiden, Asgred. But later on, we learn that she is a sea bitch. And ironically, he names his ship right then Sea Bitch. And after this reveal comes, we go back to when he was thinking about his sister's ship's name, which is, you know, Blackwind, kind of like Greywind. And he ends up naming his ship after his sister, even though he's like, oh, I hate you, Asha. <laughs> that's true it's also like uh, well i guess the ship's the fair maiden because i'm like clearly someone who's pregnant is not a maiden exactly and i mean we're gonna get into that a little more here because he just keeps you know he keeps saying things he thinks that's what she wants to hear when we learn that it's asha and asha would never want to hear any of that especially not from her brother he keeps on like trying to get with her he keeps trying to bang her and he's like look how great i am you need my dick married woman like that's pretty much most of this chapter, and he asks her to come back to Pike with him. It's interesting that he's spending so much time projecting, right? Like, he wants to belong so badly, he sees a cool ironborn chick, and he's like, I have to impress her, I have to belong, and it makes me wonder where this macho stick is coming from, obviously from, like, his dad. Obviously that's one thing, but what influences? Is this that pent-up energy from Winterfell when he was, you know, subdued against the other boys, you think? Um, he never got to have the stage and he wants to, you know, wax that macho charisma. I don't know. 
I think there's that. I mean, he definitely seemed like he was this kind of person before. Like, what? Isn't he the one who gives Tyrion the tip about Roz in mm-hmm. the in the um, brothel? So, yeah, I think this is just who he is at this time. And I mean, that's it. I think this is just who he is. Ugh. And like maybe part of it is him playing it up even more for the Ironborn, but, like, okay. Some of his flirting is super cringeworthy, but, like, you can tell with how comfortable he is dropping these lines and just, like, going back and forth. Like, he's not... He's putting on, obviously, this bravado and machismo act, but he's experienced in doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess. I guess. I guess. (laughs) Does he though? I mean, he's starting to wonder. He's not afraid of women. You know, no. like he's not shy around them. It's not the first time he he's tried be. to like put the moves on someone. Is what I'm saying. You should be humble. You just drink your juice, Theon. <laughs> he can't. God damn it! He can't even drink his juice, as we find out later. Ah. Uh. Anyway, we get this uh weird uh bondage sexy euphemism from Asha. <laughs> it's, it's really only weird because you know it's Asha and Theon, but you know it's really interesting. She goes, well, I know which end of the oar goes in the sea, and there's no one better with the rope's nuts. One-handed, she undid the lacing of his breeches, then grinned and stepped lightly away from him. A pity I'm a woman wed and knew a child. I'm going to start using that as like a catchphrase. A pity I'm a woman wed <laughs> and knew a child. My boss is like, can you go do this? And I'm like, it's a pity that I'm a woman wed and knew with child. Every time you order a drink, <laughs> it's a pity I'm a woman wed and knew with child. Every like, time what? my boyfriend's like, will you do the dishes? I'm like, it's a pity I'm a woman wed and knew with child. Takes a swig of wine. <laughs> from the bottle. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking from the bag. I know you. <laughs> better, better. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is great. Uh, I love that it also hints to us that Asha's sexually experienced, as we see in her later chapters. There's a lot of gems from Asha in these chapters. It's just like in every in every Asha chapter. Yeah, anytime Asha's present, there's a gem. That's true. The whole time, Eskred is like physically teasing him, but refusing to actually touch him beneath his pants. She's yeah, that's weird. Giving yeah, it's 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 weird. But like as you if you read it again, like you notice, yeah. oh, she keeps saying no, I don't want to touch you. Like yeah. and she keeps like saying things, mocking him. Ugh. She she gives in to coming to Pike with him. She implies she likes to be on top while sharing his horse. And as he and Eskred pass the many ironborn in town, they all bow to them. And Theon is like, yeah, nice. They finally learned who I am, he thought. And past time, too. But, like, it's Asha. <laughs> That's who they're yeah, bowing to. It's a great. Idiot. It's so Idiot great. sandwich. It's so much irony. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad. Like, we don't have siblings, so we don't understand, but... All of this makes me gag. Like, all of it makes me go, like, Cersei and Jamie doesn't make me gag like this. I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't know why it is either. I don't know. And then, you know, we're all like, yeah, that cousin marriage that we talk about and all those things. Like, that's fine. John and Daenerys, that's normal, but baby. But and Asha, that's like, that's where I, that's, this is where I draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it, maybe that's because we're conditioned to because they show it as being so gross. Like, Theon and Asha like, what the fuck? Right, like, we're over here like, they're consenting-ish adults. <laughs> About other people. Uh, anyway. Gross. George, what have you done to us? Gross. How am I supposed to feel about anything? Um, 
I do know, though, that I would hate to have a sibling show me up like this all the time. I mean, that's not what we're yeah. talking about, but I mean, that is what it, this chapter and a lot of, like, I guess, Theon and Asha's relationship is. It's him feeling like he's living in Asha's shadow, which, like, I've never, ever seen anyone feeling like they're living in their sibling's shadow before in A Song of Ice and Fire. Never. Yeah, never. 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 No Stark. No Baratheon. No Stark. No Stark, no Baratheon. No one's ever felt that way. No no uh, Martell. No Tully. Yeah, no. No one's ever felt that. Ascrad starts to smile and chat with all the village folk, and Theon's like, how do you how do you know these people? What? You're just some common chick. And the Iron Man and Ascrad all exchange, like, what is dead may never dies. And Theon is like, okay, well, maybe I'll take her counsel on who to put on my crew. Because then she'll feel like I think she's important to me and she'll want me more. Which, like, yikes. That's not a good look. Oh, definitely not. It's kind of lucky for Asha, though, that no one said her name at that time. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like, it wouldn't have been unlucky. But we wouldn't have gotten the rest of this wonderful chapter. Okay, we obviously know Theon's not a model citizen. He's arrogant, he's absorbed, he doesn't really think before he speaks, and... He's kind of a raging misogynist. Like, he thinks women are there to serve him and his needs, which, whatever, cool. But this is the setup that makes taking him off the page until dance so effective after this book. It's what makes dance and that reveal so much more horrible. And it's very much like Sansa's arc in that fall from grace thing, because we can see from the broad strokes, like, it doesn't matter what you did to accelerate the plot. The plot was already in motion around you. Cersei was going to make moves toward Ned. You just made it easier, Sansa, and Balin was going to attack the North. Theon just gave him a better, like, fucked up reason to do so. And we see Theon's, like, northern northern station and Iron Islander status get used against him through his identity as we continue on through these chapters. For sure. They end up passing the Miraham again, you know, that ship from last chapter. And Theon tries to take long strides very quickly away, which is very rude. None of the ships, though, have left port. Because Balon has put a freeze on them leaving. And of course this is important to demonstrate because that shows that this was always Balon's plan and Theon was just a pawn or a tool in it. And again, he's trying to hurry past the mirror hand but not in time because then we hear a voice weakly calling my lord from the ship as it please my lord. And as Gret is like, really? Did she just call you my lord? Seriously? <laughs> she please you? Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Theon's like, Oh, yeah, she wanted to be my salt wife. And Asgard's like, yeah, she could do us some salting. She's plain. She could use, like, some seasoning salt, you know? Is that a, I don't know, a it, joke it, about, like, semen? Or, like, just just some salt? I think it's like, just supposed to be about, like, food, bland. but she's bland. I mean, she yeah, she said she's bland. Though, yeah. That's the language, yeah. yes. Yes. Gross ass. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about semen, Eliana. We We're are. in the Iron Islands. That is true. I find it interesting that this is what he goes with to impress her, right? Like, concubines are more akin to sex slaves than they are to paramours, which that's what Theon is treating it as. He's romanticizing it. You know, he's speaking again, if we want to bring back Rhaegar and Lyanna into the equation, he's speaking about like, oh, I could kidnap you and make you my salt wife. We later learn that Asha, like, even though she does have a little bit of that Iron Island misogyny tinged into her, right? she's still very much so for the woman we hear it in this chapter we see her try to champion herself for the sea stone chair uh the idea that theon is trying to impress eskrid by saying like oh i'm gonna take 
I was going to take that girl as my salt wife, banger, give her bastards, and then maybe like a small hovel or shack by the sea to live in. Like that's that's what he was trying to impress her with. And a king will have, will have banged you, you know, if you bang me, I'm a king. It's great. It's kind of gross. Like paramours and Dorne are celebrated and given keeps. And, you know, like their kids are celebrated where salt wives are just like fucked up and left out to dry. Yeah, I wonder to an extent what was more similar to the situation on Dragonstone. And it kind of feels like it was the salt wives and not the paramours. Yeah, with the dragon seeds. Yeah. They head to the inn, though, and then they pick up Theon Squire. It's Wex. Yeah, you might recognize Wex from the guy who tells Wyman that Rickon and Brandon Stark did not get killed. Soon. I love that it doesn't seem like Theon really catches on in this chapter. Like, he, he says something about it, but he doesn't catch it, and neither does the reader that, like, Wex literally cannot talk. Very silent. Uh. Like the silence. Uh. Oh, I wonder. I don't know. Wex's eyes widen at the sight of Eskrid, and Theon totally ignores him. He is like, ready the saddles for our journey back, and Theon's horse is a hell horse. Eskred sees it, and she is surprised at it. He thinks she's impressed from her laughter, and he tells her, oh, I got it from Lord Botley. But, of course, she knows this horse well, right? Like, we already know she he got it from Lord Botley, from Triss's dad. Lord Botley said the horse was too much for him and sold him to Theon. And we learn the Iron Islands isn't really prosperous with horses. The terrain is too rocky for them, and smaller folk couldn't really afford them or ride them. Maybe, but they need her some mules. Yeah. But also, like... Amaya. I know, right? Um, It is pretty fucking difficult. Like, they don't need horses there, all right? Like, A, what are you going to ride them on? B, they're, like, expensive. And as they discuss later, they're difficult to transport on ships. Which I think that's going to come into play later. Because, I mean, it's very much the opposite of the Dothraki. And they're trying to, like, be like, yeah, we're going to bring all these Dothraki and probably their horses over on these ships. Yeah, that's going to be a mess. It's going to be so I bet she's going to lose a lot of them. It's going to be so stinky. It's going to smell so bad. Yeah. Okay, horse girl. <laughs> Eliana. Elia. Uh, Sand. That's true. And, I mean, always smell the horses. Smell, I smell bad. <laughs> oh my god. But Theon had spent ten years in Winterfell and did not intend to go to war without a good mount beneath him. Lord Botley's misjudgment was his good fortune, a stallion with a temper as black as his hide, larger than a courser if not quite so big as most dustriers. As Theon was not quite so big as most knights, that suited him admirably. The animal had fire in his eyes. When he'd met his new owner, he pulled back his lips and tried to bite off his face. Does he have a name? Eskrid asked, Theon as he mounted. Smiler. He put her hand and pulled her up in front of him where he could put his arms around as they rode. I knew a man once who told me that I smiled at the wrong things. Do you? Only by the lights of those who smile at nothing. He thought of his father and his uncle Aaron. Are you smiling now, my lord prince? Oh, yes. Theon reached around her to take the reins. She was almost of a height with him. Her hair could have used a wash, and she had a faded pink scar on her pretty neck. But he liked the smell of her salt and sweat and the woman. I'm gonna gag. I'm gonna fucking puke. I'm gonna puke. I can't believe you're saying that to me. Oh, yes. 
in the next chapter, though, Theon, we're going to see, starts smiling a lot less. Uh, Theon and Sandor both have big, giant, mean-tempered black horses, both on redemption-y arts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Take on, take on different identities. Yeah, lose identities, keep identities, etc., etc. Whatevs. On the way to Pike, Theon tries to feel Esgrid up more. <laughs> That's the whole chapter. That's it. his hands on our boobs. Ew. She tells him to keep his hands on the reins or the horse may kill them both. Theon claims he broke the horse of that habit and he starts to slide his hands back up and she pulls his fingers off of her. He notes that her hands are really strong. She asks if she'll be welcomed to the castle by his father, very coyly, and he admits Balin barely even welcomed him to the castle. He starts to talk shit about his sister. Why should he? He scarcely welcomed me his own blood, the ear to Pike and the Iron Islands. Are you? She asks mildly. It's said you have uncles, brothers, a sister. My brothers are long dead, and my sister... <laughs> well, they say Asha's favorite gown is a ch- chain nail hauberk that hangs down past her knees with boiled leather small clothes beneath. Men's garb won't make her a man, though. I'll make a good marriage alliance with her once we've won the war, if I can find a man to take her. As I recall, she had a nose like a vulture's beak, a ripe crop of pimples, and no more chest than a boy. You can marry off your sister, Esgrid observed, but not your uncles. It is interesting, though, the things that Theon says, because this is something that, what, Euron tries to do to Asha, that oh, yeah. her uncles try to do to her, marrying her off. Yep. She asks what he'll do about his uncles, and we get introduced to them through their speak. We learn that Aaron is pious. Victorian is a fearsome warrior, but Theon thinks he lacks wit and ambition, which... We know is half true, but his ambition is kind of newborn the last time we all see him. Euron hasn't been seen for years, and Theon thinks he might be dead. Euron had never given up the old way, ever, and his ship was black with red holes. His ship was said to be known from Ib to Ashai. I love that we get that characterization, though, of his three uncles who end up you know, coming to the forefront of the story later, and that even as early as book two, we have that same line that I think is repeated in Feast of like, his sails are known from Ib to Ashai. It's fun. It's a fun phrase. I also love that it introduces us to that idea, you know, that like, mad matter, etc. for them. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, I mean, I don't know that Victorian's quite mad, but yeah, there's a lot there that's already setting that up and you can see that mystery around Euron already building. Esgrid comments, you know, like about that, that Euron has been gone for so long that he himself would also be a stranger to these people. And she says that they would never seat him. Theon agrees, though he's kind of hesitant to, like, say so because, I mean, he's been gone ten years, so, like, who's he to talk? A stranger? More like the stranger, am I right, Euron? When men see my sails. What is it? When men see my sails, they pray. They pray. Oh, it's such a badass line. I love him. He's like an anime villain. He is. I love him. Daddy. <laughs> Cut my tongue out. Oh my god. Cut my tongue out, Euron. Oh my god, I forgot. This is what we get to do all the time now. <laughs> what do you- Oh yeah, make these jokes. Cut my tongue out, Daddy. Speaking of which, uh, your- Stop! <laughs> Speaking of which, Emmett, um, aka Poor Quentin, was also speaking recently about how it's interesting how both Theon and Euron have been away from home for some time. So it's interesting that like when Theon comes back, he gets the cold shoulder while like 
Euron is welcomed with open arms to the Ironborn. And, like, I mean, of course, it's because Euron has grown up with these people. But it's because he has, like, all of these, like, Ironborn trappings of what masculine power is and riches around him that he's able to just, like, be like, wow, look, I can make all your dreams come true. And Theon's just like, I don't know, I'm here. It's silly because a lot of people do the whole, like, make the Iron Islands great again, like, Trump-style, like, jokes about Euron and his speech at the King's Moot in show or in the books. And, like, it's true, though. He has that kind of psychotic charisma. You know, it's that charisma that carries him through. So I'm really excited to see him. Yeah. He is a great villain. It's going to be fun. Like, wins. Don't quite yes. get all that. We don't quite get how well he's built up with all of that other world we know in the show. It's so weird to think about how these books are going to be when we read them all one more time, all of them. You know what I mean? Like, when we have all of them. Because right now we're reading it one book at a time, you know, like. Oh, for sure. It's going to be so great to see, like, what a lot of things are pointing to. Yeah, it'll feel nice. To finally be done and then we can finally all rest and die. We can quit this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we can. I mean, like. By then, hopefully. By then, hopefully we'll have, like, already gone through. We might be on a new book series in 30 years. Well, actually, you know, if we are lucky. We won't be done with the podcast by the time both of us come out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, those yeah. could come out next week. Both of them. Stop. They no, could come out go- tomorrow. That's not going to happen. They're man. Coming it's out- coming out last week already. We already have That's our true. copies. That's true. You guys might not have yours. Theon thinks of feeling Asha up, but instead changes his mind because she would just brush his hands away and tells her he plans to honor her at the feast tonight with a seat in the crowd. He goes, I'll be on the dais, but you can be among the, the feasters. He says he'll come get her when his dad gets drunk and goes to sleep. This is so funny because later on, of course, yeah. Ash is like, get the better seat. Yeah. Theon says that his dad is the father of a great man. Not that Balon is a great man. <laughs> Asshole. So great. In return, Asha tries to convince Theon, why don't you visit your mother? You have a mother, right? Uh, she's supposed to be on Harlaw? That's a rumor? Yeah. Theon's like, maybe after the war, I'm too busy right now, you know, for women. And, uh, man, we won't get there for a little bit because the Asha's chapters are for a little bit, probably. Uh, I just want to comment, Alanis Harlaw is so sad. She wanders the halls with a candle, looking for all of the sons she lost in the Greyjoy Rebellion, which reminds you, like, the Greyjoy Rebellion did nothing but tear people apart in the Iron Islands, all for a little fleeting glory. Sure. Then you realize, like, later on that, like, when uh, Esgrid is goading Theon into visiting Alanis, and then you see Alanis later on, you're like, shit, she really meant all of that. Like, Theon, call your mom, okay? Go see your mom. Skype her at midnight about how your noodles are going. I don't know, it might- Asha's right, it might be exactly what Alanis needs. And it makes me hope or, like, think that maybe this is a meeting that we're going to get one day since we didn't actually see it here. Yeah, but I also think we're probably just going to, like, hear she died and Theon will have bitter regret. Or maybe, you know, something good will actually happen. Have you read these books? Yeah, I have. There have been oh. good things that happened. Like, um... She said. Um... She said. <laughs> let me think. There are good things that have happened. Like, uh... The time that... The time that <laughs> no, there's like definitely things. It's just like they get undercut. Like like um, the time that uh, 
hours late. That's on dog Luther Brune, and he was like, Harry the air, more like Harry the arse. That was a good he- moment. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's it? That's, that's the best you got? No, um, there was also... I, I just, like, didn't want to go for anything, like, too morbid. Like, there's, of course... Yeah, because it's supposed to be a happy moment, Eliana. Well, I, That's the I was going for like I was thinking like the purple wedding that was good, or like oh my god, I guess that's kind of morbid. That's the thing I'm trying to think of something that like was like good, good, you know. Yep, I know. Anyway, sorry. Um, so they enter Pike, and dogs descend on them, lovely doggos, and the doggos are like lovingly attacking Esgrad. They're all over her. The puppers are like, "Hello, hello," and Theon's like. Stable man, like, stable boy, take care of the horses and get these dogs out of here away from this lady. But the stable man ignores him and he's like, Lady Asha, you're back. <laughs> and Theon's like, no, fuck. And everyone here's like, whoa. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. It's like the ultimate, like, got him. It is. She, like, really, she really committed to her role, you know. Commit to the bit, Asha Greyjoy. Commit she's, to the bit. She's gonna commit, like, even if that stable man hadn't come, like, someone's gonna eventually come later, but she's gonna commit until that reveal. <laughs> she's gonna keep this going. Also, I guess uh, Theon and dogs don't really get along, huh? Definite foreshadowing. Absolutely. I noticed that hardcore this time through. Uh, don't trust them if they don't like dogs. Yeah, agreed. Asha smiles. She tells the stable boy, that her little brother accompanied her back. The pimples went when the breasts came, she explained while she tussled with the dog. But I kept the vulture's beak. Uh, Why didn't you tell me? Asha let go of the hound and straightened. I wanted to see who you were first, and I did. She gave him a mocking half-bow. And now, little brother, pray excuse me. I need to bathe and dress for the feast. I wonder if I still have that chainmail gown I like to wear over my boiled leather small clothes. She gave him that evil grin and crossed the bridge with that walk he had liked so well, half saunter and half sway. What a great exit. Chainmail gown, that's some Met Gala shit. Hell yeah, that's some uh, Hunger Games shit. Yeah. Uh, What Asha does here, though, you know, that whole, like... Really committing to the character. It reminds me to an extent of what Barristan Selmy does as Arson Whitebeard to test Danny, you know, that whole idea of, I wanted to see who you were first. Oh, that yeah. happens in, like, literally this same book. Yes, absolutely. Again, playing with those roles on identity. I love it. Yeah, George is into it. It's a thing. I do love in the same passage, there's a line, and Theon, like, looks at Wax, he's like, why didn't you tell me? And he clouts Wax in the ear. The literal language is he clouts him in the ear. And I'm like, oh, dunk. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Hedge Knight came out after Clash, right? Yeah. Like, right after, between yeah. the storm. It's uh, probably something he was thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. He was probably working on Dunk and Egg around the same time. Sure. Theon then goes to his chilly chambers, and he's, like, feeling sorry for himself and ashamed. I mean, rightfully so. He thinks about how he has no place here, thanks to his sister. It's not really because of Asha. He chooses some plain garments, makes sure there are no baubles, and he gets ready. Because he's like, I haven't gotten any with the iron price. Then he thinks about the, how the wildling he killed to save Bran had no ornament, and that he's feeling pretty sour about that. He's like, that's my cursed luck, I kill the poor. 
It makes me kind of bittersweet happy reading these chapters and knowing that Theon gets another chance, but also it's that thing George plays on with the the careful what you wish for kind of thing. And again, though, the poor, like, this is a roach moment. Like, come on, Theon. Oh, yeah. I was like, you're just like, oh no, I kill the poor. You're it's not, not like, even, they're not even poor. Like, I mean, they just did, they have a different culture than you. Yeah. Yeah. But like, even so, for him to just be like, if only I were killing rich people, like, damn, I can't believe I'm like punching down this whole time not to be like, dude, no I'm telling you, after I watched Speed Racer yesterday, oh my God. I'm, I'm, I get it. I get it. Punch up. Punch up, bro. There's just, like, no self-reflection of, like, maybe, am, could I be the bad guy here? <sighs> um, Theon then enters a long and smoky hall uh, to 400 of his father's men feasting. I love the way that these are described. There's Harlaws from Harlaw. There are Blacktides from Blacktide. Then there are Spars, Merlins, and Good Brothers from Great Wick. That's not funny. There are Saltcliffs and Sundries from Saltcliff. And Botleys and Winches from the other side of Pike. And then you got some Thralls, I guess, just like being there casually pouring ale. And there's some axe throwing and like music and dancing. Yes. Uh, you know, these sound like some redneck squid parties, right? Like they honestly sound like they'd be a blast. I was thinking that. Like this sounds like a yeah. fun party in theory. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, like the Ironborn are like, I don't know, they have like meth labs and cars in their front yard, you know? Uh, Theon faces the dais and does not have the seat of honor. Neither the dancers nor the drinkers took much note of Theon Greyjoy as he strode to the dais. Lord Balin occupied the sea stone chair, carved in the shape of a great kraken from an immense block of oily black stone. Legend said that the first men had found it standing on the shore of Old Wick when they came to the Iron Islands. To the left of the high seat were, were Theon's uncles, Asha was ensconced at his right hand in the place of honor. You come late, Theon, Lord Balin observed. Alright, so there's a lot of smart people out there who will talk to you about things like the oily black stone that are mentioned here in the legend. No, we're not going to talk to you about that. We're going to talk to you about this one last line, alright? The thing where Lord Balin's like, you come late, Theon, because it's probably foreshadowing. Probably. So there's a lot of theories that have been come up by people that are not us, um, lots of smart people out there, on how Theon's storyline might end and recreate that of Torgon Latecomer. And, you know, the nuts and bolts of it are basically like Torgon Latecomer was like out, like, I don't know, doing whatever he was doing, and then his dad, Oregon the Third Grey Iron, died. Then Torgon was the heir, and like, no one told him while he was gone. They're like, oh, we're gonna just have a kingsmith without him. And his brothers were like, ooh, it's gonna be one of us. But no! Orathon Good Brother won instead. And I guess the Good Brothers are still around. Uh, and none of the other Grey Iron brothers who were like, I think, all put to death. Then later on, Torgon returns, and he declares that the king's moot was moot. I've been waiting forever to make this joke. <laughs> the moot, moot, moot. The king's moot, moot. The king's moot is moot. Also, interesting, because it made me think of something we just talked about. How? What about Torgon the Half-Wild? Oh, yeah, Torgon, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar names, right? Similar names. I'm wondering if, like... Is this, like, a reference or, like, drawn from some other, like, story that I don't know Oh, about? I'm sure. I'm sure it's some sort of historical thing that I don't know about. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. We're letting you down. 
But anyway. They begin to banter. She makes fun of the clothing he wore the other day. He says her hauberk melted away. She says that her boat is better than his. And then we get the most epic banter in all the world that I'm going to read to you guys. Theon asks if she lied about everything. And she says, I am wed with babe. Oh, that part was true enough. Asha leapt to her feet. Rolf, here! She shouted down at one of the finger dancers, holding up a hand. He saw her, spun, and suddenly, an axe came flying from his hand, the blade gleaming as it tumbled end over end through the torchlight. Theon had time for a choked gasp before Asha snatched the axe from the air and slammed it down into the table, splitting his trencher in two, splattering his mantle with drippings. There's my lord husband. His sister reached down inside her gown and drew a dirk from between her breasts. And here's my suckling babe. Iconic. Iconic. One of the most iconic scenes and phrases ever. Right? Like, that's just... It's, it's so a pretty good. badass. It's and here's badass. my suckling babe. Your bread bowl is cut, bitch. Halpanera. Like, grabs like an... Oh my god. <laughs> She just grabs the axe out of there and throws it. Yes, Panera. Yeah. You better go get yourself a new bread bowl, son. <laughs> Broccoli cheddar, more like... No. French onion, more like French Iron Island. I don't know. I don't know. We tried. Everyone, <laughs> everyone laughs and smiles at this, including us. And also <laughs> Theon's uncle, his father, and everyone in the hall. And Asha's just like, shaking my head, little bro. If you were troubled to learn the first thing of Sigrun, I could never have fooled you. Ten years of wolf, and you land here and think to prince about the islands, but you know nothing and no one. Why should men fight and die for you? It's really sad, because, like, Theon has it in his head after, you know, being by Rob's side. He's like, I'm worthy. I can do this. I can do all this. But she's right. Like, why would men fight and die for you? You know barely any battles. You hunt otherwise, you save Bran from some wildlings, and you've seen a few men killed, but what battle besides, you know, like Whispering Wood, what are you in blunted blades in the yards of Winterfell? Theon's a babby. He doesn't know how to lead the Ironborn right now. I mean, he just doesn't. He really doesn't. He is a babby, and he just, he doesn't inspire loyalty or know how to talk to people either. Exactly! And he could never be a wolf. He can never be a squid either. He's just lost between the two. It reminds me of um, is it Chicken Little? I don't. Know. Chicken Little's the one who's like the sky is falling. Yeah, so it's not that one. There's another one. Maybe it's just Ugly Duckling. I don't know. Or Stuart Little, but darker. I don't know. Why? Why should men die for this foreigner who claims he's of their land? Which is also a theme we see played out throughout the story, right? Like rulers and the why being questioned. Look at Rob. Look at Stannis. Look at look at all of them. I mean, you know, why should we fight for him? And some have reasons and some don't, but... The feast drags on through several courses. There's fish stew, there's black bread, there's spiceless goat. Okay, first off, I have the question of why are they not, like, at least salting any of this food? Why is there no spice? They literally have salt, like, all around them. It's called... It's like a whole ocean, right? There's a whole sea out there. But also... It's a white, Eliana. It's a white. <laughs> um, Going back to that idea earlier of, uh... Theon as experiencing that cultural diaspora. I just think it's so interesting because a lot of people, when they think of home or what they relate to from their culture, they're always like, yeah, I loved, I don't know, my parents cooking or I love the, 
their associations with that are the food from home or from where they grew up. And Theon here is like, this shit sucks. Yeah. Yep. He hates it. He yeah. sure does. He does. Probably because, you know, the his bread bowl got cut. And there's no spice. Yeah, maybe and if anyone put any fucking salt in anything. The only the thing spice salt- must flow. Yeah, the only thing salty here is Theon's attitude. Anyway, the food is finally cleared, and there's still ale and wine. Yeah, as the feast dies down, Balin tells them that he needs to meet with them after this, and for them to wait around. So, Theon is wrong about everything. His sister isn't weak and ugly. His father still has his wits, and he can handle his booze, and he can stay up still. Like, that's everything Theon kind of, like, was all, like, boastful about in his bullshitting talk to Asgred. Wrong. Our lord father is waiting. And has for many a year. It will do him no harm to wait a little longer. But if you fear his wrath, scurry after him by all means. You ought to have no trouble catching our uncles, she smiled. One is drunk on seawater, after all, and the other is a great gray bullock, so dim, he'll probably get (gasps) lost. Repeating back to him, oh, you said this, so, you know, you can join them, the idiot uncles. You know what's weirder than Theon inadvertently hitting on his sister? That dim, great gray bullock Victorian being like, is my niece hitting on me? Idiot. (laughs) That, I think, takes the cake, though. Asha and Theon continue their balking, and he eventually scurries off for their dad, and his dad apparently does have a plan, and he doesn't want to hear anything about Theon about planning. What do you know about planning, Theon? You ever even plan a wedding? No. <sighs> Theon just wanted to be seen as an equal at this point, right? And his dad couldn't even afford him that. Like, I don't know if you've seen the Westeros High YouTube series. Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? I think so. Yeah, where uh, Ash from Hey Ash, What's Your Plan is in it, and there's a bunch of other YouTube stars, but they're all, like, modern in high school and like prom is coming yeah yes yeah i have seen uh that that's the best representation of theon let's be real like that's though like, okay rose forever okay but i'm do take umbrage and i'm sure they know this but now they should not have said we do not party rock as their house words it obviously should have been we do not bro i guess i don't really mind but mm. like then it rhymes with we do not sew i get it i get it Anyway, that's the one thing. So, Balin unwinds his plan. He wants to send Theon with eight longships, his uncle Aaron, Dagmar Clefjaw, and the Stones and the Drums, who were not at the feast. He is to raid the Stony Shore and fishing villages. So, in this moment, this is, for him, his John being made a steward-esque moment, right? Like, this is Theon, like, getting handed the short end of the straw. It's garbage. He wants battle. He wants command. And he's being told no. Uh And of course, Balin gives a better job to Asha. 30 longships to Deepwood Mott near Sea Dragon Point and take the castle. Theon holds his tongue, but he's pretty ticked. I should be the one to take Deepwood. He knew Deepwood Mott. He had visited the Glover several times with Eddard Stark. But Victarion takes the main thrust. Balin gives this final speech. The main thrust shall fall to you. When my sons have struck their blows, Winterfell must respond. You should meet small opposition as you sail up. 
salt spear and the fever river. At the headwaters, you'll be less than 20 miles from Moat Kaelin. The neck is the key to the kingdom. Already we command the western seas. Once we hold Moat Kaelin, the pup will not be able to win back to the north. And if he is fool enough to try, his enemies will seal the south end of the causeway behind him and rob the boy will find himself caught like a rat in a bottle. Theon tries to argue against this plan, but it's no use his dad set on it. Everybody does a little cheer of what is dead may never die, and Theon mumbles along. This is like that second time within this one chapter that Theon only mumbles the words what is dead may never die while everyone else is doing it. And it makes him obviously seem a lot less zealous for the cause and like being ironborn. But of course, it also is showing us how disconnected he feels and how he's unfamiliar with all these things. Oh, yeah. I mean, just like the last chapter when he kind of mentioned the gods on accident and his dad's like, what fucking gods are you talking about? Yeah. You only know one god, you little bitch. Like, damn. Dylan. And then when he was talking about it, I think it was in this chapter. And then mm-hmm. Asha's like, or Ezgrid at that time was like, so... You don't believe in the drowned god? Theon travels along the rope bridge, and there's salt on his lips spraying from the water, and he slips and he falls to his knees. Asha makes fun of him for being unable to hold his wine, and he's like, I liked you better as Esgred, and she's like, I liked you better when you were nine. I think this is cute. I assume this is what sibling bickering is like. Yeah, no, I do like that. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's Swedish. Not to be giving the Swedish. But man, when is Theon going to have a good day, right? Like, I just realized we have to read the Winterfell chapters. Every single day sucks for Theon. Theon. Forever. Theon's no good, very bad. Theon's horrible, no good, very bad day slash week slash life. Slash forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (sighs) Well, that's Theon too. That was a big one. That was bulky. I think we're going to get through Theon 3 a little quicker. But we yep. do still have a lightning round between the two. That we do. Tyrion 6. While Stannis and Renly's armies advance on the other, and Tyrion uses this moment to poison his sister while he works on some courtly intrigues. Good guy, Tyrion. Uh, He's looking out for her bowels. Arya 6. After eight days of confinement in the village, Arya and company make their way to Harrenhal, serving under Tywin Lannister. Daenerys 2. Daenerys' Kalasar is welcome to the celebration in Karth, and Daenerys is given an entire wing of Zaro's palace, and then Jorah tells her of Robert Baratheon's death and the Seven Kingdoms' civil war. Bran 4. Mira and Jojen talk to Bran about his third eye, and Lewin tells him that green sight is not real. You're not fucking real, Lewin. Well, not anymore, because he's dead. I know, I know, I kind of felt that. I was like, I love Lewin. Yep. Tyrion 7. Lancel reveals where and why his loyalties lie. To Tyrion. And then Tyrion blackmails Lancel into being his spy. Later, he sneaks off to be with Shay. Arya 7. Jacken Hagar returns one of three favors to Arya, killing her boss, Chiswick, when requested. Catelyn 3. Catelyn attempts to mediate with Stannis and Renly, and she gets to hear Stannis' press release firsthand. <laughs> Sansa 3. Joffrey makes Sansa pay for her brother's victory. Tyrion Lannister steps in to protect her. Catelyn 4. In prayer, Catelyn finds that Cersei's incest is the cause for her family's suffering. 
She asks Renly to support her in calling a great council, but instead she sees him killed by blood magic. Right, not what you plan. Magic! John 4. Ghost leads John to Dragonglass at the Fist of the First Men. Brand 5. After Rob's victory, Jojen's prophecy has come true. The next one involves the sea flowing uh? over Winterfell's walls. <gasps> Who knew that? What? No. The sea so far from Winterfell. Bran's warnings fall on deaf ears until Sir Roderick arrives with Reek, whom Jojen has quote-unquote seen skinning Bran's face. Ew. Tyrion 8. Tyrion tries to use Renly's death to House Barathister's advantage, sending Littlefinger to forge an alliance with House Tyrell for the crown. And so we're here at Theon 3. Theon's victory at the Stony Shore comes easy. Too easy for him, that is. Theon comes up with a new plan to impress his father, utilizing Dagmar Clefjaw. Theon 3. The chapters open with Theon wiping spit off his face as his friend-turned-enemy, Benfred Tallhart, accuses him of being a traitor. Aaron sees the spitting as an affront and tells Theon he ought to kill Benfred for that insult. Theon says he wants to question Benfred first. Benfred refuses to answer questions, and we learn he's wounded. Aaron says Benfred has insulted everyone. Uncle Aaron was relentless. When he spits on you, he spits on all of us. He spits on the drowned god. He must die. As they bicker over command, Theon thinks bitterly that Aaron was sent to watch over him and how much power Aaron has over the Ironborn because people fear the drowned god. Maybe like Theon should too. I don't know. We've already seen this in Theon's first chapter and a bit in the second, but it's really setting up that importance that religion's going to play in the politics of a song of ice and fire that like comes up in feast. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just in King's Landing. We see it all over the nation of people trying to cling to it. Yeah, yeah. Benfred keeps throwing insults at Theon, which honestly, like Benfred just keeps coming up with like new stuff, and I'm kind of impressed. <laughs> They force Benford to his knees and then they stuff his mouth with a rabbit skin, um, which he has on him and his belt being one of the wild hares. Theon ordered Stig to silence him and Aaron's like, no, we gotta kill him. Aaron says Theon must be the one to drown Benfred and Theon doesn't feel up for it and has Aaron do it, but not before one more reproachful look. Theon, you reek of wolf, like these were people that you were friends with and you just can't do it. Can't yeah. pull the trigger. That was a big part of it. Like, he was friends with Benfred. But, like, even then, hey, first of all, reek. Nice. Thanks. You like that? I do you like reek that. of wolf. I like it. I wolf. Like it. But, I mean, like, at the same time, kind of, because, I don't know, both the uh, Ironborn and the Northmen emphasize that the one who, like, passes a sentence must swing the sword. That's even, like, here where Aaron's like, you should kill him. But, like, Theon can't bear to do it and it shows that he can't live up to either society's expectations and it's very much about like him fitting in nowhere and then yeah it's like maybe it's for the best that like it happened like this i don't know stig wasn't a very good headsman so maybe it's good that we're like drowning him instead of having his head hacked off and i don't know it's interesting that these two things happen so close to one another here because theon Having someone else, like, execute Benfred, and then the thought that he has that Stig isn't a good headsman, like, because that means that Benfred would have then had a painful and prolonged death, 
And this comes into play by the end of A Clash of Kings, where we see that Theon has like forced himself to contort to the expectations of both the Ironborn and the North. He's the one who executes Farlin in Winterfell, who's that kennel master that he knew he grew up with. And when Farlin's like, well, if you're going to have me killed, like Ned Stark always did his own killings. Same as how Aaron reminded him that Theon should be the one doing so here. And so Theon does it. But it turns out Theon is also a poor headsman, and it takes him four cuts to kill Farlin. It's so bad, and it shows that Theon's not that much of a better, like, headsman, which is, like, what he's judging Stig for. It kind of reminds me of Rob, too, and his mm. difficulty in beheading Karstark. Yes. And how, like, that was his beginning of his downfall. You know, I mean, that was, like, totally foreshadowing, like, oh, it's not going so well. Yeah, I mean, they're, like, wee babs, and also none of them have a Valyrian steel sword. Right, that shit cuts through everything, but just regular steel? Come on, y'all don't have ice. Ned made it look easy. He really did. We learn that Theon has been around to Torn Square before. Uh, Just three years ago, it was held by Benford's uncle Leobald, of course. I enjoy the contrast we get with him and the Miller's boy and here at Torin and that hesitation. It really reminds me of like John with Egret or with Corin or in the Fist or, you know, just Theon's martyrdom by... Killing the Miller's boys, he thinks it's still bad enough to keep him in control of Winterfell and the Ironborn, but also that he's saving his soul and conscience, almost, by not killing Bran and Rickon, which we see his conscience becomes a huge deal in the following chapters after Clash, especially in that, uh, in that God's Wood. He only kills the poor. Yes. Theon looks at the carnage and the dead men and the horses after... Raiding these stony shores, stony shores. He thinks that the horses deserve better, and I mean, like, yes, the horses did deserve people, but also, like, Theon, the people. Holy shit, Theon, the people deserve better, too. Oh my god, and I can't believe I'm, like, you're over here just, like, people above horses? Wow. I, I, equal, equal, I'm just, like... Equal horse rights? Just, like, I mean, you just care about the people. That's Uh, true. Theon sees Gavin Harlaw sawing a finger for a ring, which means he's paying the iron price for it. Theon considers doing the same to get some bling, but decides that it leaves a bitter taste in his mouth. Yeah, uh, part of this comes from thinking. Part of this comes from thinking of what Ned would have said about it when a moment ago he was just thinking how Balin would have approved of taking things using the iron price. This chapter has these hints of something we see with like Arya and Sansa. When the wolf shines through their no one composure. So it's interesting that this is shining through Theon's composure as well. Mm-hmm. Theon looks over and he sees one of the Botley boys in a shoving match with a drunk man named Todrick. Theon thinks of the old Iron Men. He used to feel like blood drunk after battle and then they'd go like berserk and they'd be able to fight without feeling pain. But I mean, apparently Todrick's just like normal drunk. And I don't know. Something about that language makes me think of whites, especially because they're all like, what is dead may never die? I don't know. Theon tries to hit Todrick's drinking horn with his bow and arrow, but then Todrick moves, and so instead of hitting the horn, he just fatally wounds Todrick in the stomach and kills him. And then he tells everyone, he gives them all a fucking lecture of like, I said no fighting over the loot. He's like, this is going to make people take me seriously now. Oh. Yeah, he's just like, for some reason that didn't feel like as good. This whole thing didn't feel as good as the Whispering Wood. As of what you're fighting for, kid. 
Yeah, he's so confused about his loyalty and his heart. <laughs> he's puzzled about the rabbit skins, and he's mad Benfred didn't even send a fucking scout ahead. They were just joking and singing. It was so easy. He was going to question their leader and never expected it to be his boy, Benfred. So after he ordered those men to just go ahead and do the killing. The reason why they're holding rabbit skins, other than, you know, symbolism probably of like, oh, spring boys dying because they're fucking idiots and not saying scouts and just singing. Anyway. Um, the reason Benfred has them and that they're drinking and singing is that Benfred and his friends, their other northern lances, they formed a crew after hearing about how well Rob Stark had been doing in the War of the Five Kings. And they called themselves the Young Wolves. And then they were told to be put in their place. And so Leobold's more like, y'all are a bunch of rabbits. <laughs> so they decided to call themselves the Wild Hares instead of the Young Wolves slash Wild Wolves. And then they just carry rabbit skins around them. And that's like their sign. Much safer, really. Really. Yeah. And probably like, you probably actually get, um, Maybe food out of it to an extent, right? Oh, yeah, probably. Probably. There you go. You're oh. solving their problems. Yeah, except for the part where they're dead now. Okay, well, we can fix that. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> the wives and daughters had already been claimed to be salt wives, but only if they were young and pretty. If they were old or ugly, they were just raped and killed or taken for thralls if useful. It's just... There's no way. Yeah. Yep. It's gross. Nothing about that old way is glamorous or great, right? Like, when you think about it, you just stay on your rock, stay on your island, grow some, some boulders. Not much, not much. Yeah, there's nothing great, nothing really that good about it. And Theon was the one, of course, who planned the attack because he was told to, like, fucking go do this thing. And, um, like everything else in this chapter, he's like, I didn't like the taste of attacking sleeping people when there was, like, a yeah. village or something. Yeah, it's kind of, like, dirty. Yeah. It's like, especially with what you were saying about Ned as his father, like, look him in the eye, hear his final words. Yeah, I mean, he was, like, taught to fight against someone who could fight back, I guess? Not to just go about raiding, even though that's, I guess, his heritage. And I love how many times in this chapter we're reminded of how the things that the Ironborn are supposed to be doing, like, leaves a bad taste in his mouth. So he's like, he didn't like the taste of it, or it left him with a bitter taste. Like, Theon doesn't have an appetite for all of this, this, like, violence. My poor soft boy. So small. So wiggly. Wiggly. (laughs) So squid-like. A lot of Theon's, like, early chapters, like these ones, are doing so much of that character groundwork and you know with some of the second Greyjoy rebellion that's like in the backdrop coming starting to happen but like the forefront of all three of these chapters is actually Theon's disconnect with his homeland so you have it like set up with what the first chapter shows us um, how much has changed since Theon has been gone these Mm -hmm. past 10 years Mm -hmm. the second one shows us how much Theon does not recognize through him not recognizing his sister like he doesn't know his own family he's a stranger here and all these people are strangers to him and then the third shows us that now theon has no place in the north and so he's forced to try and find a place among the ironborn he kind of did this himself and while the first two chapters are the ironborn telling theon he doesn't belong what we're seeing in this third chapter is theon's own subconsciousness telling him that he doesn't belong with them either and, like, nothing that's traditional for the Ironborn, like, if it's, like, drowning, people who disrespect them, raiding sleeping people, even just, like, cutting off a ring off of 
man, he's already dead. Like, he's already dead, Theon. It's not gonna hurt him. Right. May as well just take it. Just do it. Live comfortably. I guess. I don't know. Get air bling. But all of it, like, none of this feels right or tastes good to him. He can't, like, savor any of it. So, like, the only fucking ironborn person who dies during this entire raid and crew is killed by Theon. And for some reason, he's like, yeah, that'll make him respect me instead of being like, Yo, this guy's going around killing Ironborn, and he won't even kill the fucking North kid. Yeah. It's not a good look. It's definitely, like, him going there was not- he didn't do his best right there, for sure. Theon thinks Asha is going to get to do all the flashy work, and that songs will be written for her and not him. So, he comes to Dagmar Clefjaw, who he's been itching to meet again the past two chapters, so we finally get to meet him. Uh, Dagmar's all, we won, why aren't you smiling? And he asks how many Ironborn died. And Theon's like, oh yeah, uh, one. Because I killed him. <laughs> Idiot. I'm just like face palming. The best part though is Dagmar's like, some men are meant to kill. And I'm like, same. Or born to be killed. Or born to be killed, yes. And he has like this horrifying, this ugly smile. And I like, I like Dagmar. I like him a lot. I like Dagmar. I mean, like, that's such a fucked up thing to say, but he's just so jolly. I relate. Relatable. <laughs> Theon thinks that Dagmar has given him more smiles than Balin and Ned combined, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Right? Like, that's real sad. Like, Theon thinks back to how he ought to have gotten a smile from Rob for saving Bran, but didn't as well. And it's just sad. It's like, what if someone hugged him as a kid? Or yeah. smiled at him? Or like, hey, smiler. Smile. Aww. Smile. Oh, wait. I don't know. The smiling's just like all this foreshadowing and it hurts. Was it the- hurts. Was Theon always just smiling at people so that they would hopefully smile back or to make up for the fact that no one was smiling at him? Maybe. That's I don't know. That's sad. Meta. Uh, Theon approaches Dagmar with a proposition. Yeah, asked him to come aside. He's like, let's go talk about this in private. Theon's like, we didn't get enough horses. There's some horses here, but not enough. Dagmar's just like, what the hell do we need horses for? Because as we t- discussed earlier, horses just like poop on the decks and stuff. Really difficult. Theon's like, yeah, sure, but we're not going to sail. So we actually do need the horses. Dagmar's like, why? Balon said we're going to raid the coast. And Theon is, he's a, hes about to like float something here, right? He's worried that he's seeing disapproval in Dagmar's eyes, but like it could be interest. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because he's playing off of Dagmar's pride. Like he realizes mm-hmm. that Dagmar's very full of pride and he is playing off of it. So he starts off with a fact before he tries to flatter Dagmar. You are my father's man. His best man and always have been. Pride, Theon thought. He is proud. I must use that as pride will be the key. There is no man in the Iron Islands half so skilled with spear or sword. You have been away too long, boy. When you left, it was as you say, but I have grown old in Lord Greyjoy's service. The singers called Andric best now. Andric the Unsmiling, they name him. A giant of a man. He serves Lord Dramavold Wick and Black Lauren and Carl the Maid are near as dread. This Andric, oh, it's you. This Andric may be a good fighter, but men do not fear him as they fear you. Aye, that's so, Dagmar said. The fingers curled around the drinking horn were heavy with fingers, gold and silver and bronze, set with chunks of sapphire and garnet and dragonglass. He had paid the iron price for 
the iron price for every one beyond new. If I had a man like you in my service, I should not waste him on this child's business of harrying and burning. This is no work for Lord Balin's best man. Dagmar's grin twisted his lips apart and showed the brown splinters of his teeth. Noah for his true son, he hooted. <laughs> I love that Dagmar calls him out. I love it. And also, Carl the Maid reference! Yes. I love him. My hubs. I love him so much. I love that he calls him near dread because like, when we hear Ash's chapters, Carl is kind of introduced as soft to us, right? Like, We get it from her view. She sees him differently. It's really interesting. It's funny because, like, literally his title is Carl the Maid in, like, an Ironborn culture that doesn't sound, uh, flattering, but... No, not at all, but Dagmar's all like, ah, he's near dread. It's like when you, uh, have those, what, really tall people, like, they're called tiny. tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Theon grapes about Asha getting to do all that good stuff, though, like, Dagmar was right, calling him out. Um, Dagmar explains, like, Theon, you're taking it too hard, you're taking it too hard. You take this business too hard, boy. It is only that your lord father does not know you. With your brothers dead and you taken by the wolves, your sister was his solace. He learned to rely on her and she has never failed him. And then Theon says that the Starks at least knew his worth. And Dagmar points out, well, like, Theon, that's the fucking problem, okay? Everyone thinks that you and Rob are really good friends. Yeah, like, no one trusts him. (laughs) Theon retorts he was no Stark and thinks internally... Ned always made sure of that. Well, it's worth noting that every time Theon does think of Ned, he doesn't. He never says or thinks the word Ned. So he's like, Eddard. Eddard always. Lord Eddard. Sure yes, Eddard Stark. Like, he'll sometimes even, like, throw in a last name, you know? Mm-hmm. And the way he Formal. references Ned shows, like, that distance between the two of them because you have all these other Northmen who, like, obviously didn't grow up in Winterfell or anything. And later on, they're all like, oh, we're gonna do it for the Neds, girl! Like, like. <sighs> They obviously had camaraderie with him, and for Theon to always be calling him Eddard is very indicative. Yeah, extremely formal, keeping that attachment away. Mm-hmm. Dagmar tells Theon he can prove himself by doing all this stuff at Stony Shore, and Theon's like, nah, let my uncle do that. He tantalizes Dagmar with the prospect of taking a castle, because Dagmar still lusts for glory. Theon says Dagmar ought to take Thor torn square though the stone walls cannot be set to fire as the ironborn are used to theon orders dagmar and how to lay siege to it that is not the old way have you forgotten iron men fight with swords and axes not by flinging rocks there is no glory in starving out a foeman i just realized something when you read that aloud so what north maybe is like all about honor but the Ironborn are all about glory. glory. Yep. Oh. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Theon says that Theobald, Le- not Theobald, Theobald's some other fucking dude. Theon says that Leobald won't know that Ironborn don't do siege machines and shit, which is really interesting that they don't know that. And like, it's fine. Leobald's gonna just do that. He's gonna send a raven to Winterfell, and that's gonna make the castle in Roderick summon his strength to come help Torn Square. Dagmar's like, dude, this is a suicide mission. This is stupid. We're never going to be able to take the square. And so the chapter ends with Theon going, it's not Torrance Square I mean to take. Yes, it's a perfect echo. It is. It is. Of like that first Theon chapter. 
but um, Theon also his plan. It's interesting. It's like a blend between both Ironborn and Northern, or like mainland strategic thinking here, because that idea of flushing people out of Winterfell to take the North and guard it is something that we heard in like Balon's plan. But siege warfare is like totally a mainland thing, as is of course using horses. And I think that the problem is the world keeps telling Theon that he needs to be, like, one or the other. And if he can't be any of those, he's nothing. Be a dragon, Theon. Yeah. Be a unicorn. Go to Skagos. <laughs> and, like, while Theon isn't, like, he's not a good person. He's all like, I only kill poor people. <laughs> and his plan's not honorable. But, you know, he's able to draw on that expertise of both of his backgrounds and that should actually be seen as a strength of his, not a drawback. And I, I feel this is so relatable going back again to what Eve was talking about in those earlier tweets. But it's it's difficult to get to that point. Well, and he was never allowed to be himself. He doesn't know who he is. That's true. And it's super also worthwhile with that, like, to think about, like, he doesn't know who he is. He was never allowed to be a Stark. He's never allowed to be a Greyjoy, and now has his chance to be a Greyjoy, and he's still not being allowed to, so mm-hmm. he has to break out on his own, and obviously we know what happens after that. Yeah, he's trying to f- forge his own identity, and he gets a different identity foisted onto him again, of Reek, as opposed to Ironborn or Northman. Yeah, he gets all of those identities stripped away. He doesn't get any of them. <laughs> so I did to see who Theon's gonna be and wins. Yeah. I hope that he gets to really get on that redemption path, and I hope he lives, because I do like Theon. I also like that this chapter ends similarly with that, you know, like we said, similar to that last chapter, but also it ends with Victarion kind of did the same Mm. thing, right? Thinking about taking Daenerys, right? Thinking Mm. like, oh, I'm not taking that. So it's like all the Ironborn have this suspenseful ending. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's like poetry. It rhymes in the words of George Lucas. Yes, that's exactly what I say when I read a Victorian chapter. Yeah. Um, A rose by any other name. Would still be Victorian. (laughs) Yes. Um, I was going to say, that's a happy moment, though, in the books. When Theon and Asha meet again in in dance, he goes, Theon. You have to remember. My name is Theon. And he's like, like, I recognized you this time. And I was like, (gasps) oh. Baby! Oh, that's a happy moment. All right. Yeah, that's happy-ish. I mean, besides the circumstances, it's happy, yes. It's a happy moment. (laughs) I recognize you. Okay. Anyways. Wow. Those are a lot of build-up in those two chapters. And I know they weren't, like, super exciting chapters as far as content, because the next two chapters and the chapter after that, it's a wild ride from here on out. It is. It's a little dark. I mean, you all know Theon Theon chapters get fucking real. Yeah. You guys, thanks for listening in to episode 37, Theon 2 and 3 tonight with us. Uh, We are so excited to have you guys listening. Hey, if you want, subscribe to us on social media at girlsgonecanon or send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And of course... Subscribe to us on all of the different things if you want to know when all the things come out. So, for example, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, where you can also leave us reviews. And you can subscribe to us on Google Play, on Spotify, on Acast, on Stitcher, where you can leave comments for us. And Podbean! Podbean! 
Yes. Halloween's a big one for us. And hey, we just put out a new episode for patrons, $5 and up, on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. It's on Sansa Stark and Elaine One in The Winds of Winter and her future uh, from The Winds of Winter on. As always, I have been your host, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor or at liesandarborgold.com. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening, guys.